0: I thank God for this privilege to be here in the house of worship with my fellow EBC family and friends. And thank God for those who are connecting with us via live stream. Uh, It's good to be in the service one more time. As a matter of fact, it is a blessing to be here in this place. Uh, There are many people who wish they had the opportunity to come and commune together like we are, but they're not able. But God has graced you and I to come in this place. He's graced you and I, uh, those who are listening via live stream, to be clothed in your right mind, to be able to have the faculty, your faculties and your members' limbs are working for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, and we're able to, to consciously come and worship the master. So I'm thankful uh, for this privilege and this honor, Okay. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn back with me to Acts, the 15th chapter, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number one. I want to share a couple of things with you before we get started. You know, uh, I, I've oftentimes, uh, when I when I look at life, you know, life can teach us lessons, and I look for lessons in everything. Uh, one lesson I had uh, uh, last night, I was, uh, I'd been studying, you know, all day, kind of going back and forth, and the Lord would open things up and share, it, and then I'd. Study, then go watch some football. How many of y'all ever had one of those days? Uh, and uh, so I was a little tired, and, uh, but I fooled myself. How many of y'all know you can fool yourself? Any of y'all ever fool yourself? So Marira was back there, uh, laying uh, in bed, had a laptop on and just doing some work. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just go and lay my head on her lap and, and just look at her. And, and I told her, I said, baby, let me slip let my me, let me, let me, let me head on your lap. I'm not going to go to sleep. She said, Dolly, are you going to sleep? I said, no, I'm not. I said, I promise you not. And In my mind's eye, I was not going to go to sleep, Bobby. But I laid my head on her lap while she continued to work, and I just looked up at her, and the next thing I know, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so sometimes you can fool yourself, and in your mind, you're thinking uh, that this is not going to happen. But, 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 but past history should have told me that I had no chance uh, whatsoever. I had a 99.9% chance of not staying awake. Uh, but sometimes we fool ourselves, amen? So as, as we get into uh, this, continue with our study in God's plan for his church, I want you to understand that, that this plan was, was, was birthed And the heart and the mind of God before the foundations of the world ever came into existence. Because that's the kind of God we serve. We serve an everlasting God. We serve a God who has no beginning and he has no end. He's not bound by time like we are. Are y'all with me today? And God's plan for his church uh, has been in existence since eternity. And we've seen that as we went through the scripture and began to study some things. But we begin to get into this, this study on God's plan for his church, and, and we see through the study that God's plan uh, for his church to reflect heavenly kingdom is a, is, 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 a, is a foregone conclusion. Because in the word of God, he talks about the fact that through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he was going to bring Jew and Gentile together into one body. God creates a new ethnicity, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the church, God wants to impact society. Dr. Tony Evans, a few years back, uh, 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 cut a video uh, up at, he was at the, the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis at the Lorraine Motel. And, and he said something that I think bears repeating, and I think we need to make sure that we are focused in on what God is trying to do through the church. He says, in order to impact our society we need to first model unity in the church. i got to repeat that. He said, in order to impact our society, we need to first model unity in the church. Again, he's there at the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated 50-plus um, uh, years ago. And he's, and he's cutting his video. He said, listen to what else he said. He says, when I heard Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream... I reflected on the fact that much of the success of that movement was driven by the unity of the church. Much of that, the success of that movement was driven by the unity of the church. Whole communities were changed, laws were changed, the way government functioned all changed because the church came together in unity to call for God's view of justice to be implemented in a segregated America, in an unjust society. He goes on and says, uh, uh, the article says that the the, the Oak Cliff Bible Church pastor uh, goes on to call on Christians to consider that until churches become the kingdom church. When we started this series, I gave you a a list and definition of what, what a kingdom is and how a kingdom operates. And, and the, the reality is, the sad reality is that the church in America has, has stepped away from kingdom living. And we have an Americanized version of Christianity. But God and Jesus His son, they talked about kingdom living. And in the kingdom of the king, every kingdom has a king. Can I get a witness? And I shared with you the characteristics of a kingdom and the citizens of the kingdom are obligated by being citizens of the kingdom to follow what the king says about his kingdom. Can I get a witness? It's kind of like this. If I come over, if you come to my house and let's say, for instance, you are, you are a smoker. All right. And, and if you're a smoker, I pray for God to release you from the, from the addiction of nicotine because smoking uh, has detrimental impact on your physical well-being. That has been medically and scientifically proven. Can I get a witness to all my medical professions up in here? Listen, so, so, so if you are a smoker, I pray for your deliverance. But if you come to my house, we don't allow smoking in my house. Or oh, the house of the Lord bless me with. Can I put it that way? Now, 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 so if you come to our house, you can't smoke in our house. As a matter of fact, you can't smoke on the ground that the Lord has gracious us to be able to buy. I love you and I'll hug on you and I'll show you God's love, but you can't smoke and you can't drink in my house. Now, if I come to your house, because that is in effect, sort of like your kingdom, especially if you haven't given it over to the Lord. If I come to your house, I can't tell you what to do at your house. Am I right about it? And maybe you allow some things to go on at your house, but, but the house that the Lord blessed me with, I, because I am a kingdom citizen, I am obligated to run that house just like the king wants me to run it. And if you are a kingdom citizen, it can't be where I do what I want to do at my house. Pastor, you can preach this up there, but don't come to my house talking about that. Listen, if I come to your house, I'm going to talk like the, like the citizens of the kingdom. And so you may not want to invite me if you don't want to, if you don't, if you don't want to hear about kingdom living. Because we can't separate and, and compartmentalize our lives into these little segments. Well, this is work, this is school, this is over here, this is grandma's house, this is over my in-law's house. So when I'm over there, I can't be a Christian. When I'm at work, I can't be a Christian. When I'm, when I'm at a ball game, I can't be a Christian because I'm going to cuss the referee out and I don't want nobody to know that I'm a member of EBC. Some of y'all, I'm telling you, some, some, some of my members that referee Tell me about some of y'all. You don't act like a Christian when you get in that gym or at the football field. But guys, when you are a citizen of the kingdom, we are obligated to move based on kingdom principles and not our own way of doing things. And So, so the, the church in America has become so individualistic and because we live in a democratic society, we think the kingdom operates like a democracy and it does not. God says, my way is the best way because I want to protect you and I want you to live as a citizen of my kingdom and so that you can be a a vessel that I can utilize to advance kingdom principles. Are y'all with me? Dr. Evans went on to say this. He says, uh, he says... Become the kingdom church, then we will not, If we, if we, until we become the kingdom church, then we will not see the kind of cultural transformation and effect that is being represented by the Civil Rights Museum. He says, we can never get around to being one nation under God. Hear me carefully. We can never get around to being one nation under God if we can't even get around to being one church under God. I think that bears repeating. And I think you need to go around and you need to be, begin to, to share this message with those who you are in relationship with. We can never get around to being one nation under God and living that, that flag that we, that we all salute and, and, and say the to players to. That flag represents something, but if the nation is not living up to the ethics of what that flag represents, we got to have a conversation. Hello? And because we have a conversation don't mean that we don't love America. When we have conversations about what is wrong and what, what we need to improve upon, that doesn't mean that I'm un-American. That just means that I've got to address some issues that our country has. And in the church, when we deal with a sin issue, it ain't, it ain't because I don't like you. I got, we got to deal with whatever sin is in the camp. And because we deal with sin in the camp and because we deal with your sin and my sin doesn't mean that we don't love you. It just means that we're trying to operate According to the kingdom. He says we can never get around to being one nation under God if we can't even get around to being one church under God. A unified nation will never be realized, says Evans, until there's a unified church. When that happens, watch out for what God does for the nation. So, unified nation will not come until we have, first of all, a unified church. Now, look at Acts 15, chapter. Because we, we, we begin to delve into this. This first church conference, because remember the scenario, the gospel had began to spread exponentially, particularly throughout Gentile regions. All right. Now, guys, you know, the story, you know, the history that this gospel being spread to Gentile regions was God's plan all along. And God had told, and Jesus Christ had told his disciples to, to, to go and tarry and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit was ushered into the earth ramp. And when he was ushered into the earth ramp on the day of Pentecost, that began the evangelistic move of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, th- now, again, God told them to go into Samaria, Judea, into the uttermost parts of the earth. But guess what they were doing? They were staying right there where They were comfortable. And that's what most of us do. We stay right where we are comfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. But let me tell you something, guys. If you're going to walk by faith, you're going to be uncomfortable. If you're going to you think about Abraham, when Abraham was told to leave your leave your kinfolk, leave all of your relatives and go to a place that I'm going to tell you about. I'm not going to show you where I'm telling you, but just leave. Now, would that have been uncomfortable for you? Uh, most of y'all don't, don't like tra- changing any type of routine. Most of us don't like transition, but in order for God to change us, he has to transform us. And transformation calls for us doing something different than what we've always done. Are y'all listening to me today? So in Acts 15, chapter, this, the, the, the church was in Jerusalem, and, and then, then in order to get the Jerusalem church to, to move, God had to do what? Bring Persecution, and we saw it in Acts, I think, the seventh chapter, where uh, where uh, uh, Stephen was stoned to death because of his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was stoned to death, guys. And then, then the, the the believers, then all of a sudden, because of persecution, they spread. Guys, let's be honest about it. God would love for us to just hear His word and didn't move. That is the highest form of obedience. I heard the word. I understood the word. It was exegetically explained to me so I can hermeneutically apply it to my life today. And now I know what the word says and I move. That's God's best. But how many of you know most of us don't move with God's best? We'll hear a word and we'll sit on a word. We'll hear a word about tithes and offerings, but we don't tithe and give our offerings. Oh, you say, well, tithe's for the Old Testament. No, no, tithe was before the Old Testament, during the Old Testament law, and after the Old Testament law. Jesus in Matthew 23 and 23 committed the tithe, but you won't tithe. As a matter of fact, tithe should be the base of your giving. We should be under grace giving, which is far above what was required under the Mosaic law. If you really want to get technical about it, I could preach a sermon on that, but we don't have time today. My point is this, once you know what the word of God says about an issue, the highest form of obedience is to move based off what you've been taught, even when you don't feel it. Hello? I tell you all the time, be obedient and let your feelings catch up to your obedience. Don't wait to feel move. move based off what the word of God says. So they were sitting there hanging around in Jerusalem because, you know, they were, they were comfortable there. And, and to be quite honest, some of them really didn't, didn't too care too much for Gentiles. Y'all know the story, right? I mean, they, 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 they were sort of like, was that, who was that getting ready to go down to Nineveh? Was it Jonah? Jonah didn't like the Ninevites so much, so he didn't even want to see them get saved. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strong hatred for somebody to refuse to minister to somebody because you don't want them to get saved and have a relationship with God. You're ready for them to go to hell. But God told them to move, but they wouldn't move, so, so, so they, they didn't move on his word. So then God begins to have to give us a word that he'll begin to mess with our circumstances, our situations to get us to move. Some of y'all wouldn't have moved from that job and, and now you're in your destiny had you not got laid off. Huh? God's been telling you for ten years, but you wouldn't move, so God had to dry the job up. God says, I got something better for you over here, but you won't move, but it's your divine destiny. So in order to make you jump out in faith, I'm gonna take the job away, that security blanket that you have. You've been there for thirty years. How many of y'all know that, that that's that's an oddity nowadays? My wife, is, uh, she's been working on at LSU Health Sciences now for, it'll be 33 years next September. And uh, <laughs> I think one of our coworkers says, you know what? You are an oddity. We don't see very many people around here now who've been there for 33 years. But guys, let me tell you something. Uh, we can get comfortable in, in a thing, in a way of doing things, and then God may be trying to move us to something else. And, and because we, I'm talking about God moving you. I'm not talking about you doing something on your own. But when God gives you a of word, then you have to move on it, amen? But, but they were not moving, so they stayed there because first of all, they were not really uh, keen about going minister to the Gentiles. There was, there was racism, amen, in the church. And so God says, Okay, you won't move that way, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring persecution. I'm going to scatter you. And so as they scattered, they went to all these Gentile regions and began to preach the gospel, and Gentiles began to get saved. But there was still something in the hearts of, the, of some of these Jews, Jews in the church of Jerusalem that had to be dealt with because they would still had to overcome some of their prejudices. All right? So get Acts 15 chapter verse number one. So as the, as the church grows... Now we begin to see Gentiles coming to the church and the Gentiles had their way of doing some things and the Jews had their way of doing some things because they were trained under Judaism. And so now it was the, the Gentiles way of doing some things or not doing some things and the Jews way of doing some things were now in conflict. And how many of you know conflict can happen in the church? Conflict can happen in the church. Um, I'm going to read this first five verses. I'm, I'm going to read something that, 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 that I read in my devotional reading. I think it's real good. It really blessed me, so I want you to hear it, okay? Acts chapter 15, verse number one says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch to Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot... Read that last part. Unless you are what? Circumcised as required by the law of Moses... You cannot be saved. Now, guys, how many of y'all know that God didn't say that? But that's, what they, that's the message that they are communicating. Because, again, remember these guys, uh, we'll see here a little bit later, they came up under Judaism. And many of these in the church of Jerusalem, where a lot of priests were born again, and, but they were still hanging on to their traditions and the things that they had added to the law. And now God says, I got a new covenant that's different than my old. See, now, now that I'm under new covenant, I can't continue to operate under old covenant. You, you may not use the term covenant, but, but, but there, there are a lot of traditions that maybe you grew up with that may or may not be biblical. But if that tradition is preventing the word of God from having maximum impact, if the, your tradition is stopping the word of God, then your tradition now becomes an idol. And God says you got to get rid of it. I'm okay with tradition as long as it lines up with word, but if it doesn't line up with word, tradition has to go. Jesus said it, your tradition that made the word of God of non effect, okay? So, verse number two, let's read together. Come on, let's read. He says, uh, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. They were defending the faith. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. Let's keep reading. It says, the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. Four and five, let's read Says when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Everybody said through them. Amen. Verse five, read, let's read together. It says what? But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be what circumcised and required to do what. Must be required to follow the law of Moses. Now, guys, here we are. We see that that, and I showed which on last week that these teachers were not technically and officially sent by the Jerusalem Church, but they were Christians out of that church, and now they were causing discord and division in the church with what they were teaching here. They were associated with the Jewish con- congregation, but they were not authorized by it, guys. Let me put it to you in a nutshell. As long as most of the first Christians were Jewish, there was little difficulty in welcoming new believers. However, Gentiles or non-Jews began to accept Jesus' offer of salvation and the evidence of the, in their lives and the presence of God's spirit in them showed that God was accepting them. And so some of the early Christians believed that non-Jewish Christians needed to meet certain conditions before they could be worthy to accept Christ. In other words, what they were saying is you, you in effect have to become ethnically a Jew. You got to be circumcised. You got you to observe certain dietary restrictions. You got to do this and do that in order to be saved. And that's what was happening in the church. And so the issue, uh, had it been allowed to, to, to fester, could have destroyed the church, it could, have, it could have caused great division in the church. And I told you the only math that Satan knows is what? Division. So he seeks to divide. So every conflict that arises in the church, you can, you can trace it back. It's got some root in Satanism. It's got some root in rebellion. And the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, guys, it, it, it's, it's really not surprising that there, there were people in the Jerusalem church who were strong advocates of the law of Moses but ignorant of the relationship between law and grace. Why is that, Pastor? Well, these people were Jews who had been trained to respect and to obey the law of Moses. Now watch this, guys. I, I need this by a show of hands. How many of y'all grew up and you were told that it was a sin to cook on Sunday? Let me see your hands. Now, some of y'all, This is foreign. How many of y'all, when you grew up, it was a sin to wash your car on Sunday? Let me see your hands. You, 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 some of y'all look around like, what, what are you talking about? I remember growing if you saw somebody wash their car, you come up from church, you go, ooh. Because what they were saying is, it's a sin to work on Sunday. Not realizing that the Sabbath day was not, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Can I get a witness? And so so, so that, that those are some simple things. But the other thing that you grew up with traditionally, and, and, and in your mind, you felt funny if you did cook on Sunday. You felt strange if you did wash your car on Sunday because of your upbringing. But when you begin to get into the Holy Scripture and begin to understand that, that the Sabbath is not about that certain day, every day should be a Sabbath day for us. Every day should be a day where we set, set aside time to worship God. Every day should be a day. To where we pull back and begin to to focus in on our God, but these folks here again uh they they, they had uh, they were, they were steeped in in tradition and, and, and they they didn't understand uh how the law related to grace and so because after all they've been trained in this but they but they but they did not you know you got, you got to remember something the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews, which all three of those books clearly do a great job of, 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 of giving us a picture of the relationship between law and grace. Those books had not been written at this time. Are y'all with me? They had not been written at this time. So now we got people coming out of Judaism, coming into this new entity of the church and they came up with these ways and you got Gentiles who were saved who did not come up that way. And so now they got some habits and some things that they do, some ways of, of worshiping it that didn't fit with them and, and vice versa. So now we come to the, to, to the church council and begin to deal with this thing. There was a, if you go to Acts, the sixth chapter, verse number seven, right? Go to Acts, six, verse number seven, right quick. There was a large group of priests in the Jerusalem assembly, as well as people who still followed some of the Old Testament practices. If we can go to Acts, the sixth chapter, right quick. Verse number seven says, so God's message, this is, this is uh, in the sixth chapter where the church was spreading and then some of the, uh, there, there was a little bit of a racism in how the food was distributed because at this one time they came together and had things in common and there was a daily food distribution and one group was being neglected at the expense of the other. Are you with me? And that's when the, the apostle said it's not wisdom for us to lead the word of God and start waiting on tables pick you out seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom who we can appoint over this business. What was that business? Running the church? Now the business was feeding the people. There are a lot of people, if you go, go, back, go back to Acts, go, go, go to that first verse of that sixth chapter right quick. If you go back to this verse, uh, in a lot of our churches that grew up, they would tell the pastor, your job is just to preach, it's the deacon's job to run the business of the church, and they would go to this scripture and point to it, not really even understanding context, not even understanding what was going on. And they would, they would, the word business would pop out. If somebody is an overseer of something, that means that they are responsible and held accountable for the thing that they oversee. And if, 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 if I'm going to oversee something, and then, but I have. I have no way of understanding what you're doing, then that's going to be a problem because what you're going to do is going to affect what we're doing as a group, right? And if I'm responsible for it, at least I need to know about it, right? Watch the text. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Verse number two, let's write if you want to get somebody mad, mess with the food, okay? So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running the food program. Look at what the text says. And so brothers, select seven men. Now watch this, guys. Look at the qualifications. Don't just get anybody to do this. Look at what he says. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and they're full of wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. What was that responsibility? Running the food distribution program. Next verse, says what? Let's read. Come on, let's go. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Verse five says, everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nakana, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So now, guys, what the, the, the business was the food distribution. Are y'all with me today? And so in some churches, they hamstring the pastoral leadership by saying, pastor, you have no, no, no say so in the business of the church. You just preach. Well, How will a pastor who has responsibility for everything not be aware of what's happening on the business side of the church? I tell you before, I thank God for for for, what, for how He blessed me. Now, every pastor doesn't have a, a banking or a financial background, and, and that's, that may not be your cup of tea. But I just love that kind of stuff. I love crunching numbers and looking at trends and analyzing stuff and making sure that we are financially healthy as a church. That's just my thing. It may not be your thing, but that's my thing. And that, because that's my thing, we are debt free. Because that's my thing that God gave me. We can do radio outreach ministry across 12 stations. We can send $1,000 a month to Haiti for our mission church. We can do some other things because we are financially healthy. I thank God for it. But that's just my thing. Everyone say that's Pastor's thing. All right? And, and so I promise you this, that, that as long as I'm black, and I'm going to be that way as long as I'm living, okay? As long as I'm black and I'm living, we're going to do it God's way and we're going to use prudent financial decisioning in the operation of the ministry of this church. Amen. So, 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 so the business was, uh, food food distribution, but there's a spiritual side of that because again, when you had the, 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 the discrimination that was going on in there, something had to be done. Now watch this guys conflict in the church. I tell you, I was, I was reading something and again, we, we're going to pr- press on through this. Uh, there was a large group of priests there. Look, look at verse number seven. This is what I want to get to. It says, uh, "This same chapter it says, so God's message continued to spread. Now remember, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They tear it there. They waited there. They were having a good time. They were and They were community, but they wasn't going. They were not moving. And so as a result, God allows persecution to come. And you see that it's, it, it begins to, to, to really start in earnest there when Stephen was stoned to death. I believe it's in that seventh chapter. It says, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and what many of the Jewish priests were converted to. So now if you're a Jewish priest having that background and that's what you've been accustomed to all your life, it'll be a little bit different to, to float and move a little bit differently than what you've always moved. Tradition is a, is a, is a hard thing to break. Habits are a hard thing to break. Am I right about it? Some of y'all been used to doing things the same way for 25 years. And you have not changed. And God says, I got to transition you to a new mode. I need you to move differently because I need you to reach some different folks. So in order for you to move differently, I got to deal with your mind. You gotta transform your mind because God transforms our behavior by changing the way we think. And now, now as a body of believers, we're studying what God's plan is for his church because it's not our church. In America, we it to be our church, but it's not our church, it is his church. And as long as we're here, we're gonna do it the way he said for us to do it. Are y'all still tracking with me? So, so but, but conflict arose in the church and, and, and so as a result, uh, you know, division was beginning to creep up in the church. Now, guys, conflict will happen in anybody. I was reading this, uh, uh, this, this, this article, this devotional about conflict in the church. And, and the guy wrote it. He, he, was, he, he talked about his experience as a young pastor and how things were going along well. And the church had begun to blossom and to grow and multiply. But he began to notice some little undercurrents that were happening in the church, little sidebar meetings over here and sidebar gatherings over here. And uh, he began to ask his dad, who was a long-term pastor, and the, guy, the dad gave him some advice on, on what he would to do. He told him to keep preaching the word and keep doing what God had told you to do. But, but, but sure enough, uh, some things were going on underneath, underneath the surface. They were, a group of the deacons were meeting with another pastor and, and getting advice from them. And, and the whole thing came to a head and they called a meeting on it. Now, what he says is, as he went through this thing, he thought, he thought about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah, who went back to rebuild the wall. You, you can you look at the book of Nehemiah, look at chapters 2 through 6, and, and, and it gives you the story of, of him rebuilding the wall. Because during those period of time, guys, if a city uh, was was wallless, it was vulnerable. Are y'all with me today? Anybody could come up and attack you, so rebuilding the wall was, was essential for the safety of Jerusalem. All right. So after coming out of captivity uh, uh, and giving permission uh, from from the king that he was serving, uh, he told him, I release you to go back and rebuild the wall. But when he went back to rebuild the wall, uh, how many of y'all know he had conflict from within his own people and those outside of his own people? Are you with me? And he and he pointed out a few principles and these are not in your notes. but just write these down uh, real quickly and we're going to keep going. He says during times of conflict in the church. The first thing he says we ought to do is lead by example. Everybody say lead by example. He said, Nehemiah worked right alongside the people. He set the pace and the direction. He rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty doing the work. You will gain a lot of rapport with with people, with your people by saying, let's go instead of you go. And guys, I'm going to tell you, whatever, 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 uh, Place you hold, uh, office you hold, and again I tell you, I don't, I don't, I, I'm about servanthood. I'm not about titlehood. And so, whatever you, wherever you are, you got to be willing to do what you' asking people to do. Are y'all with me today? If we got, if we gonna talk about mission, we need to, we need to, we need to all be doing some missions. Because hey, guys, I'm here to tell you, God told me to tell you, EPC in particular, that it's time for this church to be a going church. And if all you've ever done is came and studied and got foot on the word and never really went and practiced that word in your family's life, at work, or on the mission field or, or wherever, then, then God is calling all of us out to get out of our state of, of, of being just settled right here in the four walls and begin to take this stuff outside the four walls. So it's time for us to move. Everybody say it's time to move. Look, 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 look at the neighbor. Say, neighbor, let's get moving. All right. Now watch. Watch. So, so, lead. when there's conflict, lead by example. Number two says, "Don't stop working to start fussing." I love. It. He says, "Don't stop working to start fussing." He says, "This is a key and vital, important principle regarding conflict in the church. When you're busy building, and God is blessing, those who told you it couldn't be done will want you to stop, come down, and talk. Don't keep working and keep building." So don't stop working to start fussing. The third thing he said, it really blessed me. He says, focus on the vision, not the division. Focus on the vision and not the division. Are y'all with me today? He said, it was obvious. He said that there was a group out to sidetrack Nehemiah and hindered the work. Nehemiah didn't fall for it. He stayed committed to the task and didn't listen to the naysayers. Number four, he said this. Listen to the one instead of the many. Listen to the one, talking about God, Jesus Christ. Listen to the one instead of the many. Nehemiah had a vision from God, but he also had a vocal minority that told him it couldn't be done and that what he had done wouldn't last. He stayed close to the Lord and didn't listen to the voices that would discourage the heart or derail his work. And that's what happens, guys, in our society. It's the loudest voices that we hear on the news. It's that vocal minority on the right and on the left. that kicking up all the dust. And, and, and we got to stop listening to all those far to the right and far to the left and stay focused in, right centered on God's word and let's move with God and quit letting those all the way to the right, all the way to the left, take us off of our, our path that God has given us. Amen? Are y'all with me today? So, so, so be, the fifth thing he says, be aware of, but not overwhelmed by your opposition be aware of, but not overwhelmed by your opposition. I like that. Negative voices, he says, are naturally louder than supportive voices. Uh You will hear that they are many, but that's normally not true. Keep an open line of communication with your leadership and trust them to keep you, you aware of the reality of the situation. Again, He says, you will hear that they are many, but that's normally not the truth. It's you, the the squeaky wheel that tends to get the oil. Y'all heard that statement before? It's those who are talking loud, and you think it's everybody, because they'll say, well, people telling me. Who are people? Don't come to me telling me who people are if you're not going to tell me people's name. That's how you stop mess. Well, you know, they said, who is they? Morari had a teacher, uh, I think it was in high school. She said, they is the first cousin to a (laughs) lie. They and lie are first cousins. So if you're going to come and tell me something, what they said, you need to be able to name they. Because the way it should be done is the way Matthew said it and he wrote it. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, I believe, if there's an alt or confusion or division between you and a brother, you should be going to them one on one. And tell him it's far between you and him alone. Well, you know, if, if people just ain't going to come. Well, they ain't going to be biblical. I can't help you. I'm telling you all, I'm telling you my door is open. But if you're not going to be biblical, we're, we're not going to operate non-biblical. We're going to operate according to kingdom principle. And kingdom principle says, if there's an all, you go to them one-on-one. If there's, if there's something that needs to be discussed, we, we spent a whole two and a half months talking about emotionally healthy relationship. Let's do this stuff. are y'all still walking with me? All right, so so he says, be aware, uh, but not overwhelmed by your opposition. Focus on, number six, he says, focus on building, not maintaining. Oh, I love this. Focus on building and not maintaining. He says, he says, another key principle during conflict in the church is to simply outgrow the opposition. When you focus on placating the vocal You've, listen to what he says when you focus on placating the vocal negative minority instead of seeking to bring more people to Jesus and into the church you're undermining the mission keep bringing building and winning people for Jesus and that's what we're going to do we're going to keep building we're bringing building and winning people for Jesus the last thing he says brag on God and the people for the work that is done brag on God and the people for the work that is done He says, although we focus on Nehemiah and his leadership, a great work for God isn't done by any one person. I need you all to hear that. Ministry cannot be done by one person. Every last one of you all who are sitting here under the sound of my raspy, trying to get away from me voice (laughs) need to hear this. You are important to the work of God. You have giftings that we need. Quit sitting on your gifting." And let God use you to impact this world for the kingdom. Are y'all with me today? So I I thought those seven things were real good. And they they were worth repeating for me. Amen. So we said, as we look at this church conference in, in Acts 15. Let's go to the sixth verse. Acts 15, verse number six. We looked at the dispute. We know what the dispute was. The church was growing And a lot of Gentiles were coming into the church and a lot of Jews were uncomfortable. I'm here to tell you, God never called you to be comfortable. That's the problem with the church. We've gotten too comfortable. Your comfortableness comes a lot of times from being with people who just like you think just like you. And you don't want to minister to anybody unless they already like you. I'm here to tell you God has called you to minister to people, to bring them along. He saved us. He's growing us so that we can be ambassadors for Christ. Can they get a witness? Look at verse number six. So We, look at the, at, we know what the dispute is. There was there conflict because they wanted them to do, the Jews to become, they want the Gentiles to become Jewish from an ethnic standpoint and, and observe all those the things of, of the Mosaic law before they could actually get saved. And that wasn't God's will. So the apostles and the elders met together to, to resolve the issue. See, never be afraid to address conflict. Many of you sit here uh, and there are things that you need to address in your family right now, but you, you, you take the approach, well, you know, I just, I'm, I'm going to leave it, alone. Let sleeping dogs lie. Maybe sleeping dogs, they, they lie, but they don't stay asleep. Can I put it that way? Sleeping dogs are going to ultimately wake up one day. And what I'm trying to get us to do as a believer, a body believer, is learn how to deal with conflict the biblical way. Well, they don't get mad at me. They, well, they're probably mad at you already anyhow. And you just don't know what they're talking about behind your back anyhow. So you might well let them talk some more. But you just be biblical. Our approach to handling conflict should always rest in what the word of God teaches us. Let's keep reading verse number seven. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and what? And believe. What we're seeing here is, is, is guys, we're gonna have... Um, Peter, then we have Paul and Barnabas, and then we have James. Peter's gonna review the past. Paul and Barnabas are gonna report on the present, and James is gonna relate it all to the future. Past, present, and future, okay? Peter reviewed the past. Paul and Barnabas reported on the present, and we're gonna see James related it all to the future. This stuff that we're preaching and teaching now, we're related to the past. Hopefully, you understand how we got here the why behind the what. And hopefully you're understanding what God is doing in the present now. He's he's bringing a manifestation of his plan for his church together at EBC. And prayerfully at other other churches also doing that thing which many thought was undoable. Causing a, a, a level of unity that that boggles the mind of the person who only looks at things from a, an Americanized version of Christianity rather than a kingdomized version of Christianity. We need to have a kingdom race theology rather than critical race theology. Have a kingdom race theology, and if you got a kingdom race theology and, and and push that out to the world, then the world begins to see how we should get along on the common ground of Christ Jesus. So so look at Peter. He reviewed the past. Now, now, you know, the Bible says after a long discussion, Peter got up. Now, Peter, that, that kind of lets me know that, that Peter, Peter used some patience here, unlike he did before he was filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of y'all remember reading in the gospel when he was walking with Jesus? Peter was very impulsive, wasn't he? He was the first one to stand up and say something. He was the first one to do something. But now after Pentecost, after he's been filled with the Holy Ghost, now Peter is beginning to exhibit some patience. Maybe you don't have any patience because you aren't filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't have the Spirit of God controlling you, so you you just pop off at the mouth like Peter used to do. But we get the impression here that Peter sat patiently while those who were questioning what was going on uh, and he waited on the spirit of God to direct him. Now, Peter reminded the church of four important ministries that God had performed for the Gentiles, ministries in which he, Peter, had played an important part. These are not on your notes, but just jot these down right quick. First of all, God made a choice that Peter should reach the, preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That was God's choice, that Peter should preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Look at verse number seven. Okay. Jesus had given the keys of the kingdom to Peter. You saw it over in Matthew 16 and 19, right? And he had used them to open the door of faith to the Jews, the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Text says at that meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. So first of all, God made a choice that Peter should preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Second thing is, God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles to bear witness that they truly were born again. He gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles to bear witness that they had been truly born again. Look at verse number eight. Come on, let's go. And the guys, I shared this with you long last week, lest they doubted that the, that the Gentiles could have had the same experience they had, they, they were, it was confirmed that they were filled with the Holy Ghost because they spoke in other tongues, just like the, the, the Jewish apostles and disciples did on the day of Pentecost. So they could not deny it because they spoke in tongues and they saw them working, amen, amen, alongside other believers in, in, in promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knows people's hearts. Everybody say, God knows my heart. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he did us, so God gave the Holy Spirit to Gentiles. Third thing God did: God erased a difference. Look at verses nine through eleven, right quick. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts. How? How did he cleanse their heart? Through what? For by grace, or you say, through faith. It is not of yourself; it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us have any right to boast on our goodness and how how good we are and how much we've done. It's we are saved by grace. We're saved by faith through the grace of God's through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He made no distinction between us and them, for He cleansed their hearts through faith. Ten and eleven. Let's read. So why are you now challenging God? Notice who they are challenging. They're challenging who? He says, why are you challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with the yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? The law was given to show man's, mankind his need for a savior. The law was never given with the expectation that man would be able to keep it all. God gave the law to show man his prideful old self that you can't keep it and you need a savior. Some of us are so prideful that, that, that we, we won't go for help until it's, we're just desperate, until we don't have no other choice. Guys, let me tell you something. It's, it's good to learn how to lay your pride aside and say, I need some help. Yes, sir. See, we, we like, when we think of sin, we want to talk about adultery. We want to talk about stealing. We want to talk about all these things that, 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 that we name, but pride is a sin. And pride, the Bible says, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. You can be so prideful in, in in your own self that you won't even ask God for help. Or you won't even receive help from people who God sent you away to bless you. But you're like, oh no, that's okay, that's okay. How many of y'all have been that way? I, I was one who had to learn how to receive. Because I I was I I could bless you, but I was bad at taking uh, a blessing that God may place on somebody's heart to give to me. I was like, no, it's okay. Now, I've been praying last week for God to bring increase, and He sent somebody. Then, I, then here I am. No, 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 no. no. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep, and you got to be careful because pride will keep you from receiving what God is sending your way. Everybody look at the neighbor and say, neighbor, pride will take you down. So while you're now challenging God by burning Gentiles, believing with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. Look at verse number 11. Let's read. It says what? We believe that we're all saved the same way. By what? The undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Guys, none of us are saved by our goodness and how much we come to church and we ought to come to church, but how much we serve and we ought to serve. We're not saved by much doing but we're saved by receiving Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So God took down, he erased the difference. Now this is different because it's a transition going on. God had put a difference between Jews and Gentiles, and it was the task of the Jewish religious leaders to protect and maintain that difference. That's why they had such a hard time understanding the new covenant because In prior years, they were given the responsibility of of keeping it different and separate. But that was just God's plan for that dispensation. Under the dispensation of law, it was God was working to bring the master through that lineage of people. And he had to protect that lineage of people so that the master could be born through them. Are y'all getting me here? Who is the master? It is Jesus Christ who we commonly would say he came down through 42 generations to be born in the manger of Bethlehem. God had to protect the seed because there was a whole lot of debauchery going on under the old covenant, just like it was in the new covenant. But God said, I'm going to protect this seed because this is my way of redeeming mankind. I'm going to pour out of myself, be born in a manger in Bethlehem, and, and I'm going to go to the cross of Calvary, die, and resurrect from the grave so that I can make the way for man to come to me. Thank God for the saving work of Christ Jesus. So God erased the difference so that now that all of us are free to come to God and Jesus Christ brings Jew and Gentile together into one new ethnicity. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so God erased a difference. And fourth thing um, he says here is that they removed the yoke of the law because they couldn't keep it and they were trying to force that on some other people and they weren't going to be able to keep it. I thank God that we have the Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. I thank God that we are, 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 are in a position where we can go before God, not because of our goodness, but because of what Christ did for us out on Calvary. So, so Peter reviewed the past. Paul and Barnabas, again, reported on the present here. Look at verse number 12 uh, of, this, of this same chapter. Verse number 12 of chapter 15 says, well, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among whom? Among whom? So God was working and he was doing miracles and signs and wonders amongst the Gentiles. And one of the reasons why God was doing it amongst the Gentiles, so the Jews would not question that certainly God is moving. His his word of faith is not only for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile also. Are y'all with me today? So they, they, Paul and Barnabas reported on the present. He says, everyone listen quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And James related it all to the future. Go to verse 13 through 18 right quick. And we'll see the decision that they came up with. He says, when they had finished, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. He says, and this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. Watch this. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Look at what he says. So that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. Look at verse number 18. Watch this. He who made these things known so long ago. I told you this is not anything new, but it was it was a mystery until it was unpacked in the new in the New Testament. It was a mystery until Paul began to 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 to, to preach this uh, that that it's that 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 there's a responsibility for the local church to reach all ethnicities and not just cater or not just have in our mind that we're only going to reach a certain type of person. We we should be open to everybody to come and receive Christ and let's do life together because when we do that in the church and we learn how to do that in a faithful way, then we'll be able to impact society. Quit trying to do it in society first because it won't work. It hasn't worked. But it will work when the church unifies, when the church deals with r- issues of racial injustice, when the church begins to be a beacon voice for, for, for unity in this, in this country rather than division, when the church stands up and says, we're going to live by kingdom principles rather than Republican and Democratic, uh, Democrat pr- uh, principles. Some, some, some of y'all sit here and live your life based off of what a political party tells you. I want you to become kingdom citizens. Are y'all with me today? Let's do it the way God said, do it. So the decision, look at verse 19 again. Or the first for the first time, (laughs) verse 19. He says, and so my judgment is this. So my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, these these leaders were directed by the Holy Spirit and and the church made a twofold decision. And I'm going to summarize this for you so we can move on. They made a doctrinal decision about salvation and they made a practical decision about how to live the Christian life, okay? What was the doctrinal decision? The the church concluded that Jews and Gentiles are all sinners before God and can be saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. There's one need and there's but one gospel to meet that need. And you see Paul unpacks that in Galatians, the first chapter, verse 6 to 12. Look it up when you get home. So that was the doctrinal decision, okay? But there's also here, uh, again, in other words, what's that doctrinal decision? Nobody gets saved by doing stuff. Nobody can earn their way into God's gracious heaven by being good enough. Because our righteousness before a holy God is like filthy rags. That's what the KJV said. It's our righteousness doesn't hold water when we come to the presence of a holy God. So all of us in here need a savior. And we need to come to that realization because many times we think we're good enough, but we're not. I'm telling you, all of us in the eyesight of God, when we come, if we come before God without Jesus in our heart, we're filthy, nasty, dirty. But when we come to him with Christ Jesus, his blood washes away our sins and makes us old. Aren't you glad about that? Yes, Glory to God. So the doctrinal of decision. Uh, so Jew and Gentile, none, nobody's saved by doing good stuff. Are you with me? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So the practical decision. This letter asks for obedience to two commands and a willingness to agree to two personal concessions. The two commands were that the believers avoid idolatry and immorality. Sins that were especially prevalent among the Gentiles. Yeah, because they they got saved. This is kind of uh, uh, what was happening in the church at Corinth. He's writing to the church at Corinth, and there was all kinds of sexual immorality going on in the church. Similar to today. I said similar to today. Sexual immorality. People were suing one another. Christians were going to court and suing one another over church matters. That's happening today. And the Bible is very clear about that, and you can look it up. Um, I don't have time to go to that. The Bible is very clear about that, that Christians, church matters, should never be uh, settled in a secular court. Can I say it again? Church matters, things of theological constructs, should never be, uh, have to go to a secular court for a decision. If a pastor is trying to pastor the church, and the people don't want him there, and him trying to stay there, how are you going to pastor somebody who don't want to be led? By you. I, I love all of y'all. I promise you I do. I love every last one of y'all in here. But I can't pastor you if you don't want to be pastor. And there are some people who don't want to be pastor. They want to have a church home, but they don't want a pastor. You want a preacher to come and preach, tell you some good stuff, then leave me alone, pastor. Don't get in my business. I'm here to tell you I'm going to be all up in your business because the Holy Holy Spirit is going to be up in your business and I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay in your business. Now, so you either either learn to love me or hate me, but I'm going to be in your business. How do I know that? Because God has a word for every last one of us. All of us have stuff that need to be dealt with and I'm not going to bite my tongue. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray that will word would, act, would perform surgery in your heart and begin to cut that stuff out that shouldn't be. Because all of us got some junk in there that needs to come out. And I come in every Sunday morning to perform some surgery. So, I don't like surgery. But you better get used to surgery. And don't come here with no anesthesia on you. You know, don't. So practically speaking, guys, this decision that it came to a conclusion, they they came to a doctrinal decision. You don't get saved by keeping certain holy days and certain dietary restrictions. If you decide that I'm not going to eat pork meat, that's on you. And if that's your conviction, more power to you, but don't say if you eat pork meat, you're going to hell. Because how many of y'all living, would be on their way to hell right now? <laughs> Means be right there leading the pack. Because <laughs> I'm eating my baby pack ribs. <laughs> I can show it to you. I don't have time to go there, but you know the Bible says if, 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 if we, basically what it says is if no, no thing, don't call anything unclean. That's what told Peter when he gave him the vision, right? He said, you, 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 you're talking about all these dietary restrictions. He said, nothing I made is unclean. Yeah, just bless it before you eat it. If you want to eat a raccoon, eat a raccoon. All you wild game eaters. If you want deer, eat some deer. you want to eat buffalo, eat buffalo. If you want to eat some gator, eat some gator. Just bless it before you eat it. God doesn't have a problem with it. Now, if you think it's sin, the Bible does say this, and I'll talk about this some of this next week. To you, it is sin. All right? I just happen to don't think that pork meat is eating is sin because I know I've been enlightened by the scripture. So, I'm going to keep eating. As <laughs> long as my doctor tells me it's okay. And I got I to go for a checkup, so I got I to flush my system before I go. All right, guys, can we get out of here? So practically speaking, this decision accomplished at least three things. And and I'm going to hit these and we'll we'll pick back up next week, okay? Number one, it strengthened the unity of the church and kept it from splitting into two extreme law and grace groups. See, unless you deal with stuff, it's going to cause division in your family, in your place of employment, on the team, that you playing on. I remember playing ball at Tech, and there were times when we had to call a team-only meeting, no coaches involved, and we had to discuss some stuff and get out on the table, because if the team has all these these undercurrents going on, they can't play as a team, and it 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 it, 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 it stunts your ability to be successful on the football field. But there are times when when we have when we when we talk about things, when we issue when we deal with things, let's 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 come and let's talk about it and let the word of God govern our decision. Not how you feel and what you think. Let's find out what the word says. Remember, well, Pastor, I just, don't, I just don't think there's no need for a mother in the church. Well, okay, what is God's plan for his church? What, have y'all, did, here's your assignment. Go and ask somebody who you know is a Christian, you, tell me what is the mystery of the church? Just ask them that and see how puzzled they look. Go and ask him, what is the mystery of the church? And how does that apply to what's happening in today's church culture? Ask him that. All right, because I think it's important. If, if God says he re- it was a mystery, he's revealed it, and it's a part of his plan, you know what it is, Jew and Gentile together in one body. A new ethnicity is created. So we have Jews, Gentiles, and we got the church. Three ethnicities that God recognizes: Jew, Gentile, and the Church. All right, which one are you? If you are Gentile, that means you're not in the Church. Let's get in the Church and be a new ethnicity. Let's come together as a body of believers. Okay, so it strengthened the unity of the Church and it kept it from splitting into two extreme law and grace groups. Second thing it did was this. And, And and by the way, that was not a doctrinal compromise. By the way, okay, it was not a doctrinal compromise. Because we see in the book of Jude, in verses 3 and 4, that we are to defend the faith that God has entrusted with us. Some people want you to compromise what the word of God says. But, Pastor, you know, uh, say for instance, and I got to move on this, but I don't have time to talk on it. But if somebody is struggling with the sin, of, the sin of homosexuality, I said it was a sin, then you don't kick them out of the church. You try to deal with them when they're struggling with it. But if, but if somebody comes in and says, well, no, no, Brother Pastor, uh, you don't understand. I, I'm not struggling with it. This is the way I am. This is where I'm going to be. I don't care what you teach. Uh, You know, this is is just the way it's going to go. Well, I got word. Okay, I I got word that that tells me what God's original plan is and always has been for for human sexuality. So, and I heard my brother Tim say this, and it's so true, he says, attraction is not sin. So you may have a same-sex attraction, but attraction is not sin. But when you begin to lust, and indulge, now we're in sin. So I can be attracted to somebody and, and, and if you look at me and tell me you have not been attracted to somebody who's not your spouse, you line in the pits of hell we're going to come up and swallow you up. I don't know where that came from. But the attraction is not the sin temptation itself is not sin, but it's the yielding to the temptation that's sin. So you may have an attraction that's not godly, just like a a man can be attracted to a woman who's not his wife, but when it goes into lust, now we got a problem. When you walk by, instead of just speaking, you walk by and you... I got to get out of here y'all. Attraction is not sin. It's what you do with the attraction that's going to determine whether you end in the sin. So if somebody's struggling with something, they're battling with something, they know the word of God says, hey, let's, let's help them. Don't, don't, don't condemn them to hell. We're here to help. But some people have the opinion that you got to compromise with me. You got to say that what I'm doing is right. Or you don't love me. No, baby, I love you enough to tell you what's right. Okay? All right. Second thing. Watch this. I got to get out of here. <laughs> Second thing, it made it possible for the church to present a unified, a united witness to the lost Jews. And we're, we're going to read, read Romans four fourteen. It's, I got to go to that. I, can, I don't have time today, but we'll go to it. Okay. It made it possible for the church to present a united witness to the law. See, guys, our disunity is causing us to not be relevant in the culture. Y'all do know that, right? I mean, I, by law, churches churches have declining attendance all across this country. Churches are, uh, churches are closing their doors like, nut, like you, don't, you wouldn't know what. Churches yeah. are not being effective in reaching the laws. There are communities that have churches on every corner, and they're the worst communities in the city. Have you ever thought about that? We're should, we should be the power source. We should be the influencing, the stabilizing force in the community, and we're on every corner, but no change is being affected in our community. That's a powerless church. Third thing, and we'll pick it back, back up next week, it brought blessing as the letter was shared with the various Gentile congregations. Now that they, okay, they, they agreed to certain things, and, and again, we, we'll hit it next week, and we'll, we'll close it out, but they agreed to certain things. They compromised in some areas, but it didn't compromise on doctrine. God's plan for his church is being manifested. Now, faith, when you walk in faith, it means that sometimes you're not going to be comfortable. I know when I'm walking in faith because I get a little antsy. I'm like, okay, now, Lord, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't know where the resources are going to come from. I don't know who to, where the people, uh, the giftings are, are we need for this particular area, but God, we're going to keep doing it the way you said do it. We're going to trust you. Yeah, I get a little uncomfortable, but I'm still going to trust. I get a little answered, but I'm going to trust. God has a plan for His church. Let's be a part of that plan coming together to show the world that through our unity, we can have kingdom impact in this society that we live in. That's what God called us to do. Not just to be here and exist, but he wants us to have kingdom impact. Bring the kingdom to the earth. hes he's, he's going to have a thousand year reign here on earth in the millennial kingdom. But we should be a foretaste. Come on. Anybody know what a foretaste is? When your mama's in there cooking in that and she's cooking, and then, and then she lets you have a little nibble before the dinner gets all the way done. Everybody says that's a foretaste. You're like, mm, mm, that's good. I can't wait. The church should be a foretaste of glory divine. The church should be an example of what's happening in the heavenly realm and what's going to transpire when Jesus Christ sets up his ruling reign in the millennium kingdom here on earth. But sad to say, we haven't, been a, we haven't been good enough of a foretaste. I think we got much improvement to do. This church and every church that's opening Christ's name has much improvement to do. But let's get ready. This will fill his plan for his church. Everybody right close.